Let's do a quick sound check. How's the sound in the back? Loud enough? So there was this man who was uh, in the grocery store and uh, just happened to be following along with um, through the aisles in the same pattern as a young woman and her um, little girl toddler in the basket. And they went by the cookie aisle and the toddler started screaming, I want cookies, cookies. The woman said, now Ellen, just have half of the aisles to go. I'm sorry you're frustrated. It won't be long. Then they got to the candy aisle. The little girl was like, candy, I want candy. Kids are. The woman said, there, there, Ellen. Don't get too cranky. Only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. And then they got to the checkout aisle where there was uh, gum, you know, the impulse buys. Little kid wants, I want gum, I want gum. Mom's like, Ellen, we'll be through this checkout stand and home in 10 minutes, and then it'll be nap time. And this guy was like, you know, really impressed at this woman's level of composure. And so he walked up to her in the parking lot and said, you know, I just couldn't help noticing how sweet and patient you were with little Ellen. The woman says, my name is Ellen. <laughs> the girl, my girl's name is Jennifer. <laughs> and what I, what I love about the joke is the prize of the joke is that someone would be speaking out loud kindly to themselves. Um, there's this kind of paradigm of life that many of us get that, uh, strategy or the method to achieve some sort of happiness is to um, arrange the conditions just right. So we get all the things that we want, all the things that are pleasant, and we kind of line them up right here. And all the things that are unpleasant, we kind of push them aside, try not to make them happen, deny, deny them even when they're inevitable. And it's... Uh, it's not a very good strategy. It's very difficult to arrange the circumstances just so. And then we can arrange them just so they don't last. Or maybe we arrange them just so, and then our mind changes in some way. It's like um, you're single, you've been searching for that person, and then you meet them, and you just, you know, this is it. Soulmates. We were definitely lovers in a distant lifetime. And then after about a month, you remember why you haven't kept in touch for 2,000 years. <laughs> the mind just changes. So there is a place for striving for better conditions to develop some capacity to steward the mind to uplift the mind, to um, nourish the mind in ways that are beneficial. And also, we can develop this capacity, so we're not always chasing better conditions, but learning to befriend this moment, 
to develop equanimity with conditions just as they are in this moment. I feel like practice for me is a balancing act between having the agency and the wisdom and the techniques to enliven, uplift, and also having the capacity to bear things just as they are. Kind of having the wisdom also to know when's the right strategy. How are we going to place the attention in a way that's beneficial? The one way to develop this ability to befriend the conditions just as they are is through the practice of metta. Metta is often translated as loving kindness. I prefer friendliness, benevolence, goodwill, universal positive regard, a state of non-contention. A friend and colleague of mine, Anushka Fernandipole, calls it unstoppable friendliness. This idea that we're just welcoming whatever is uh, in the field. And the Buddha had a lot to say about what you might say the opposite of metta, which is the inner state of ill will, hatred, anger, irritation, a whole spectrum of these kinds of um, anger that you could broadly group under the umbrella of ill will. And there are, uh, it's a very high bar. (laughs) There's a very extreme and graphic example that the Buddha gives, and um, I think it's important to share, so I'll share it. He says to his followers, even if bandits were to carve you up savagely limb from limb with a two-handed saw, he among you who let your heart get angered even at that would not be doing my bidding. This is aspirational at best. He goes on to say, even then you should train yourselves. Our minds will be unaffected. We will say no evil words. We will remain sympathetic with a mind of goodwill with no inner hate. And this high bar comes from the understanding. It's not, you know, a moralistic argument or like, saying that it's bad to be angry, but it's more the recognition that when we have the streams of this energy of ill will in our own heart, it's an affliction to ourselves. It's like drinking a poison. The bandits are long gone, and here we are still stewing in the uh, after effects of that. The Buddha described it as picking up a hot coal to throw on someone, and in the process, you get burned. Um, and I, I really believe the teachings point to this growing capacity to metabolize, digest, and even root out more and more this stream of ill will and hatred. And one expression of full awakening or enlightenment is that 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 energy is just not there anymore. Buddha goes on to say, we will keep pervading these people with an awareness imbued with goodwill. We will keep pervading the all-encompassing world with an awareness imbued with goodwill, abundant, expansive, immeasurable, free from hostility. This is how you should train yourself. 
He goes on to say, when deliverance of mind by loving kindness is developed, no limiting action remains there. I love that phrase, no limiting action. It's pointing to that all the things that are not metta, anger, frustration, irritation, I might even put boredom in there, that they limit us in some way. They um, impede our capacity to see the way things are. They agitate the system and make it very hard to be peaceful. He describes it as just as a vigorous conch blower could make himself heard without difficulty in the four quarters. So it's this, this, this idea of like a boundless stream of this energy of benevolence and goodwill radiating in all directions. So we'll do a practice designed to tilt the mind a little bit in the direction of this um, way of being where the heart is filled with goodwill and compassion. It's like, like all the practices we've, we've done thus far, we're really just kind of conditioning the mind gently to naturally fall into that state. It's not something you can force. It's not something you can make happen. The guided meditation will include some visualization Sometimes people will have a question about visualization and it comes to people in different forms. So if I say to you, think of what you had for breakfast, visualize it. Some of you will have a very clear image of oatmeal. Some of you will have, and maybe a Vedana associated with that. Uh, For me, unpleasant. And then some of you will just have a sense of, you know, I know what I had for breakfast. Some of you might actually have tastes or other sensory. So however visual, I'm calling that visualization, but however that appears in your mind is just fine. Maybe you have words. Um, So the guided practice will include some visualization, and it will also include the seeding of the mind stream with phrases, phrases of goodwill. I'll give you some phrases if you don't have your own. And as the practice grows, you can kind of cultivate phrases that have just the right, like the language has just the right tone that it kind of resonates with you. In the metta practice, it's quite common for people to have one of three experiences. The first one, surprisingly, uh, trying to incline the heart towards metta and all the things that I think Luigi said this the other day, all the things that are in the way of metta begin to reveal themselves. So you get angry, you get frustrated, irritated, agitated. Um, This is actually a sign that the practice is working. There's a sense that we have to clear the space for the radiant heart to be able to radiate. I've heard it described as you put dirty clothes in a washing machine And then if you look in the little window while they're being washed, the water will be very dirty. It's actually a sign that the clothes are getting clean. Or you can think of metta as a magnet. And the magnet, when you run a magnet over something, it pulls out its opposite. So if this were to happen, we call this a purification response. You just do your best to meet 
that purification response with that same attitude of kindness. To open, welcome, feel it in the body as best you're able. And as we've been saying, if it's not manageable or it's too much in this moment, you can open your eyes, find some way to ground yourself, begin the practice again if you feel more steady. The second thing that often happens for people, sometimes we call it phone book metta. You're reciting the phrases and it's about as interesting as reading the phone book. Uh, this is also quite okay. Like sometimes it's like that. You can notice the experience of boredom or like going through the motions or whatever that feels like as an experience of the body. This is what it's like to be bored. Um, and also trust that there is some fruitfulness in this practice. You're planting some seeds. You're also training the attention because often when the mind is quite bored, the mind will wander more. So there'll be more of this remembering and recollecting the awareness to be um, focusing on the practice. And just that is strengthening mindfulness, whether or not metta is showing up in this moment. And the third thing which happens for people is you have some sense of the energy of metta. People might experience as a you know, warm heart or a bubbling energy or however this manifests for you. It's usually very pleasant. It's a kind of a, sometimes you call it dharma love. It's like it's not the love of attachment or romantic love or the love of grasping. It's like a purified feeling of of love in the best sense of the word. And if that were to happen, you can just savor it, experience it, explore it. Let the mind become familiar with its capacity to generate this energy uh, without trying to hold on to it or grasp it. Just experience, savor it, experience it. It can be quite nourishing and refreshing. Um, so whatever's happening in the practice, whether it's purification, whether it's boredom, whether it's metta arising, we're just trying to meet that experience as best we're able with the field of benevolence. We're welcoming that. So we're practicing metta in multiple ways there because we're just practicing meeting what is with kindness. So just checking in with the seated body, notice the orientation of the body. Sense into the groundedness of the body, always supported by the earth. Maybe a deep inhale and on the exhale, softening, letting go of anything extra. And then bringing the awareness to the heart center of the body, in the middle of the chest, the energetic heart, can be helpful to place the hand there. I'm just gently noticing how it is in the heart. 
be tender, maybe it's blocked, maybe it's wide open, however it is, without any judgment, just recognizing the truth of this moment. This is how it is in the heart. And then bringing to mind an image of a being that you naturally feel this attitude of friendliness towards. Maybe a being that brings a smile to your face. Could be a teacher, a mentor, benefactor, grandparent, some elder. Could be a non-human being. For me, the object of metta, where it's easiest, is baby goats. So baby any animal. And with the mental image of this beloved being, as if they were seated here with you, just allowing the... Um, sense or intention or visualization of the energy of metta radiating outward, suffusing this being with our care for them. Then dropping some phrases into the mind in a kind, gentle inner voice. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be as healthy as possible. May you be at ease. May you be at ease. holding the mental image of your beloved being, maybe some sense of connection with the heart center, just gently repeating these phrases, or even one phrase, may you be happy, may you be happy, may you be happy. Be a sense that dropping the phrase into the mind stream is like dropping a pebble into a pond. And we feel into the ripples of the words and the heart. This balance of activity, dropping the phrase and then receiving. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy, may you be at ease.
Just as in all of our practices, whenever the mind wanders, soften, shake it off, begin again. Connecting with the heart center of the body, mental image of the beloved being, the sense of the heart radiating metta. Sometimes this is enough. Or you can add phrases. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be at ease. Finding a rhythm for reciting the phrases that's the best rhythm for you to stay present. This gentle, patient effort, not trying to make anything happen, feeling into the sincere meaning of the words, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy, and may you be at ease. Now imagining just as you are wishing well, energetically and with your phrases for your beloved being, that they in turn are wishing well for you. Maybe some sense of what it is to receive the well wishes of another. And then joining them in this process, rousing a mental image of yourself as you are now. Sometimes it's helpful to choose a younger, more innocent version of yourself. 
whatever comes to mind. Offering phrases for yourself. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I be at ease. If you notice that metta for self is more difficult, this is quite a common experience. It's not a problem. Let's keep going. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I be at ease. Whatever is happening in the heart in this moment, sing if you can welcome that experience. May I be happy. May I be safe, may I be healthy, may I be at ease. Now imagining that there's a luminous, bright energy emanating from the heart center of the body and shining in all directions, shining brightly to the front. shining brightly to the right, shining brightly to the back, and shining brightly to the left, and upward and downward, radiating in all directions, 
filling this entire room with the energy of metta. Each of us is giving this energy to every other person in the room and receiving from every other person in the room. I'm letting the beam of metta energy expand further and further all the way to the horizons. And every being that comes in contact with this beam of energy is suffused with our care for them. Human beings in our field of energy other beings that live on the land. Beings that live in the trees and the skies. Beings that live in the water. Beings that live beneath the ground. Beings of all sizes. Beings that are seen and unseen. Beings that are born and yet to be born. May we and all beings be happy, safe, healthy, and at ease. May we and all beings, without exception, be happy, safe, healthy, and at ease. And letting go of the practice, Letting go of anything that feels like a technique or a doing and just resting. Awareness notices experience, but there can be a sense of not picking anything up, not getting involved, just resting. Thank you for your practice. Because the 
I know the metta practice is new to many of you, and it there often are a lot of questions about this practice. I thought we'd have just a little bit of space. Maybe someone can run the mic to for any questions about the cultivation of metta practice. First, I, is this on? Um, a little bit closer, okay. yeah. <clears throat> Take this off. First, I want to really thank you. I found that really moving, and I loved every second of it until we got to the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, there are people who do really serious harm, you know, that's not just bad thoughts. It's physical damage to other people. And that's where I don't know how to overcome that, or I don't even know how if I want to. Um, so I just wanted to raise that. Yeah, it was a really good question. So the question was around um, people who do really bad things in the world, and you know, do we even want? How do we get there? And do we even want to go there with metta? Um, My aspiration is to get there only because my ill will primarily affects me. (laughs) A lot of the people that I have ill will towards political figures or people I don't even know, like my anger has no impact on them. Uh, So for my own freedom, I want to be free of those streams of ill will. And to be free of ill will does not mean that we support their actions or condone their actions, that we can simultaneously, you know, raise our voices and take actions to prevent those harms from being doing from being done. The Buddha was famous for this. He would he would walk out into the battlefield in the middle of a war knowing that that would stop the war because people wouldn't, you know, both sides liked him. Um, Sometimes when I'm working towards my aspiration of being free of ill will, I'll start with a slightly lower target, which is um, not love, but (laughs) non-hate. Maybe a slight distinction there, like non-contention, non... Even if I could just be neutral about someone that was really problematic... I think that would be an improvement over ill will. But this is the, you know, this is the high bar. This is the ultimate expression of this practice is when we can really purify the heart in that way. And it's a gradual process. Thank you for your question.
You hear me? Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Um, so uh, when you had uh, mentioned initially bringing a being uh, to your consciousness, um, I brought forth my dog and uh, I was kind of more taken over when instructed to give phrases, I was more taken over with memories and uh, kind of my high-pitched doggy voice. <laughs> um, and uh, I kind of leaned into it. And I think it gave the effect that was intended but I wasn't sure if I was conflating the practice with some other process because I just kept getting kind of really happy memories of, you know, him licking me and me saying all the adorable things. And I kind of just rode that. And then I went to my cat, my <laughs> other dog, and it was wonderful. Um, and then, you know, they couldn't, it was hard for me to picture them saying the phrases back to me, but. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not a, I'm not very orthodox. I sort of believe skillful means like if you're able to arouse that feeling of connection to those beings, however that looks for you, it's beautiful. And if I were to be a purist about the practice, I'd probably say that, you know, you can notice when that is just proliferation of thought and unhelpful. And the way you're describing it, I think it's beautiful. Whatever it takes to rouse that energy. Yeah. Someone over here. So I was probably overthinking it, but um, I was wondering, um, with meta practice, um, do the statements, the meta statements, like do they, should they be in the foreground and breathing should be in the background or should they sort of be focused in parallel? Yeah, typically there's not discussion of breathing in the meta practice. I know some people find that coordinating the phrases with the breath in some way helps them be more present. So if that's the case, then that's fine. But it's not emphasized in the traditional teachings. Yeah. And in fact, the early teachings from the Buddha, mostly there's one reference to phrases, but mostly they talk about just the energetic, that sense of the energy radiating. And the phrases became popular about a thousand years later, and other sages were commenting on the teachings of the teachings of the Buddha, saying introduced an additional tool. One more in the back. Maybe that'll be the last one. 
Hi. Uh, can you say more about how to overcome the difficulty or hesitation in wishing well toward yourself? Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, very strong conditioning that many of us have. Um, we see metta for self as selfish, or we think we're not worthy. Um, and to some degree, for me, the metta practice has been helpful in highlighting those tendencies, um, knowing that about myself in more clarity. And for me, it's just been a gradual weakening of those streams. The more I just try to bring the tender heart to that part of myself that is uh, um, self-afflictive or, you know, all the judgments and uh, the stories we concoct. Um, I had this, have had this experience doing metta for extended periods of time where and I went through all the phases of uh, you know, rage and irritation and sorrow and grief. And then it just like I felt like the, the self-aversion just softened over time. I just have, I have a kind of faith in, in the unfolding of that over time with commitment. One practical thing is that it said that one of the conditions for the arising of metta is seeing the goodness in the being. Because I don't know if I'm really stuck, I'll just reflect on good qualities that I have. Sometimes that helps uh, lubricate that. It's sort of like, you know, like sometimes we wish we had a really nice answer for these questions, but the answer almost always ends up being practice more. <laughs> Pretty soon we'll be replaced by AIs and whatever you ask, they'll say, practice more. <laughs> Let's just sit together for a couple minutes. In a moment, we'll have a period of walking. And if you have energy, you can come back for some chanting. If this is the end of the day for you, you can once again pat yourself on the back. Time well spent. a treasure, actually, to be part of a community that is willing to cultivate beautiful qualities of the heart, cultivate clarity and insight and wisdom. 
And we do this not only for ourselves, but all the people whose lives we touch. The goodness of this ripples out in all directions. Maybe the thing our world needs the most right now. <laughs> 